You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. We are very glad you are here with us this morning. Every Sunday morning, we have a bulletin that is a great place to check for the events and happenings of the church. Uh, We want to point your attention to a few of the things in the bulletin this morning. Uh, First up, we have a ladies Bible study retreat coming up in February. Uh, The information is in the bulletin. The cost of the weekend is $120, and you'll be going to Trinity Pines Conference Center. If you've never been there, great accommodations. They take really good care of you. It's going to be a fantastic weekend of getting into the Word and building some relationships with each other. So if you're at all interested, we encourage you to check that out. The next thing we want to share with you is kind of right in the center of your bulletin. You'll see a big ad for Perspectives. Perspectives is a class that gives you a new view of missions, both globally and locally. Um, And we have a great opportunity for you this year. Uh, If any of you are Black Friday shoppers, there is a Black Friday deal on the Perspectives class this year. If you register for the class and pay for it on Friday the 23rd, you'll get $75 off the cost of the class. So your total cost will go from $250 down to $175. They've never done that before. It's a great deal. So if you're thinking about this, uh, I would suggest taking advantage of that. And if you want to know more about it, Doris Scott will be in the foyer after the service and she'll be happy to answer questions about it. We also wanted to invite you to join us right here on the morning of December 1st. We are going to hang all of our Christmas decorations. Uh, This is a fantastic opportunity to serve together as a family. Uh, There's there's things for kids to do. There's things for adults to do. Uh, It's a great atmosphere while we're hanging that stuff up. There's pizza for lunch. Uh, We want to make it a really good morning for you. And the more people we have, the the quicker that work gets done. Um, If you are interested in signing up to help with that, you can do it through the church app or there's a phone number that you can text to sign up. So hopefully we'll see some of you on December 1st for that. But... Before we get to the Christmas decorations and all that good stuff, we have Thanksgiving. And today, we have our Thanksgiving feast. Uh, Immediately after the service, we'll move down to the gymnasium, and we have a wonderful meal prepared. You are all invited. We'd love to see all of you there. There's lots of desserts and side dishes and food. You don't have to bring anything if you haven't brought anything already. Just show up, have a great day, and we're going to be able to share the blessings that we have. And if you want to participate in some of that, there's a hashtag in the bulletin that you can use for social media posts so the rest of the church family can see some of those blessings as well. So we hope to see you there, and we hope that you'll join us. Now, turn your attention to Kevin for our call to worship. I want to begin this morning with a a call and response. I'm going to read the first line, and you guys will respond in the words that are bolded. It says this, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. God blesses us with gifts of love. God blesses us with daily work. God protects us in times of danger. God calls us into relationship with him. Therefore, shall we offer thanks and praise to the Lord our God. Amen. This morning, we have the privilege of celebrating um, one who is professing his faith in Jesus Christ through following Christ through um, these waters of baptism. 
again and again, we talk about baptism and its symbolic meaning. So many often think of washing away our sins, but the meaning of baptism is far more than that. In baptism, we see the symbol of us being buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk by the power of God to live our lives to honor Jesus Christ. John Frazier is coming today to go public with his faith in Jesus Christ. Let's celebrate this as John comes. John, we are so excited today that you have decided to go public with your faith in Jesus Christ. This day's been a long time in coming, and we are so thankful for this day. Today's kind of special, isn't it? Yes. It's my birthday as well. That's right. That's right. John, if you would repeat after me. The great confession. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. The son of the living God. The son of living God. My personal Lord and Savior. My personal Lord and Savior. Because of your confession in Christ, I baptize you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe you have never gone public with your faith. While we know that faith in Christ alone saves us, transforms our life, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to go public with your faith, to confess Christ through baptism. Let's continue to worship our King today, right now. Direct your attention to the screen. When I watch TV, it's just some shows that you just, that are pretend. And, and when you explore, you get more imagination than you already had and um when you get more imagination it makes you want to go deeper in so you can get more and see beautiful things like it could the path if it's a path it could leave you it could lead you to a beach or something and it could be beautiful you think this is just another day in your life It's not just another day, it's the one day that is given to you today. It's given to you. It's a gift. It's the only gift that you have right now. And the only appropriate response is gratefulness. If you do nothing else but to Cultivate that response to the great gift that this unique day is. If you learn to respond as if it were the first day in your life and the very last day, then you will have spent this day very well. Begin by opening your eyes and be surprised that you have eyes you can open. That incredible array of colors that is constantly offered to us for pure enjoyment. Look at the sky. We so rarely look at the sky. 
so rarely note how different it is from moment to moment with clouds coming and going. We just think of the weather, and even of the weather we don't think of all the many nuances of weather. We just think of good weather and bad weather. This day, right now, it's unique weather. Maybe a kind that will never exactly in that form come again. The formation of clouds in the sky will never be the same that is right now. Open your eyes, look at that. Look at the faces of people whom you meet. Each one has a incredible story behind their face. A story that you could never fully fathom. Not only their own story, but the story of their ancestors. We all go back so far. And in this present moment, on this day, all the people you meet, all that life from generations and from so many places all over the world flows together and meets you here like a life-giving water if you only open your heart and drink. Open your heart to the incredible gifts that civilization gives to us. You flip a switch and there is electric light. You turn a faucet and there is warm water and cold water and drinkable water. It's a gift that millions and millions in the world will never experience. So these are just a few of an enormous number of gifts to which we can open your heart. And so I wish you that you will open your heart to all these blessings and let them flow through you that everyone whom you will meet on this day will be blessed by you just by your eyes by your smile by your touch just by your presence let the gratefulness overflow into blessing all around you. And then it will really be a good day. So, um, gratitude. From my perspective, it's where joyful giving starts. It's when I lose myself in the really granular look at our many blessings and all the little things that tie everything else together, the things that I take for granted every single day, um, that I feel joy. It's awesome when you think about it, when you really break it down to that level, uh, the power of God's divine plan. It really overwhelms and inspires, and I think it does for everyone in this room. You know, there's lots of reasons for giving to church. Um, Gratitude for many, many blessings might be the purest, uh, but there are lots of other reasons. Um, duty, compulsion, guilt, uh, those are ones we would prefer not to think about but, um, or not to dwell on. But in any case, all of those other reasons for me beyond gratitude are really kind of subjective things. Um, they're open to interpretation, right? Um, it's whatever I think it might be, but you know, one man's ceiling is another man's floor, uh, and so what is it? You know, what? How do you really quantify uh, those things? Gratitude, on the other hand, I think is objective. It's perspective based on fact, uh, in things quantifiable and measurable. All Christians know that our lives. Um, all of creation and all the blessing that make our lives worthwhile uh, comes from God. Uh, that's, there's no doubt. We don't have any doubts about that. And we can count our blessings, um, you know, all day, every day for as long as the, uh, the earth exists and we'll never get to the end. Gratitude produces joy. We've all felt this. We've all felt that exact connection take place in our lives. Joy produces generosity. Uh, we've all uh, felt that as well. 
It's the way we're wired. Both are hallmarks of the lives God wants for us. I believe it's why he asks us to be joyful givers. I don't believe uh, giving is a standalone event. I believe it's part of God's grand scheme to bless us with lives worth living. I kind of plan to stop there, but um, I am uh, on the board of directors uh, for the uh, financial board for the church, and I thought it was my duty to, uh, to make uh, you aware of, of something and ask for your help. Um, we started the budgetary process for 2019, and um, you know, one of the things we've learned as we go through the year is that we have a really, we're blessed with a really frugal uh, staff and ministry team leadership across the across the whole church um, that uh, are really really good stewards of our funds. So, despite coming into the year with a very very conservative budget, um, these guys have uh, underspent the budget by fifty thousand um, dollars. That is that is a pretty impressive accomplishment. However, we're still about fifty two thousand dollars upside down for the rest of the, for the year through October. So, um, you know, but churches run deficits all the time. Churches run surpluses sometimes. Uh, we've run deficits for the last few years. We will, I think the board expects that we will make up that deficit uh, between now and the end of the year. Uh, but I encourage you to uh, think about um, how your gratitude might impact your ability to help us make sure that we hit that number and we get, uh, we get the uh, church back to a balanced budget by the end of the year. So with that in mind, um, I'd like you to join me in prayer. Dear Father God, help us to see with new eyes the many blessings you shower on us each and every day. Help us to respond with gratitude. Help us to experience the joy and the generosity that flows from that gratitude and to use our time, our talents, and our funds uh, in a way that pleases you. We thank you, Lord, for the bottom of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The table is where life happens. It's where imagination runs wild, where lessons are learned, and wonders are built. The table is where time can stop, where wounds are comforted, and freedom begins. It's where we find peace. laugh till it hurts. The table is where we gather with family, new and old, to share stories, to nourish our bodies, to enrich our souls. The table is where we give thanks, and where we remember what great gifts This morning, you have an invitation awaiting you to join us at the table, a table that was set not by us, um, not by any works that we could boast in, but by Jesus Christ himself, the body and blood of Jesus given to us for the forgiveness of our sins. And today we celebrate, we come to the table central to our faith Central to our life this week, as we all gather from different places with different family and friends. But today, the significance of this table supersedes even those. And so I'm going to ask our communion servers to come forward and prepare their stations. We're also going to have our prayer partners available here during this time if you want to receive prayer during communion. Um, But we invite you uh, to come. An invitation, not from us, but from Jesus Christ himself. Would you pray with me? Lord God in heaven, we give thanks to you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your provision in our lives. Lord, may we turn inward here today and take inventory of our lives and the blessings that we have, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of struggle, Even in the midst of trials, Lord, 
there is blessing in our lives. And forgive us, oh God, where we turn away from that, where we look over it, where we look past it. Today we acknowledge your grace in our lives. First and foremost, the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives for all of those who believe in him, for all of those who follow him. We thank you for the peace that we found in him. We thank you for the joy that we have found in him. No matter where we stand, no matter what circumstance. God, we come to this table here this morning and we say thank you. We receive your grace again, undeserved, and yet still freely offered to us for those who believe in Jesus. We receive it this morning and embrace it. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to come forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this opportunity to gather around the table of grace. Father, we thank you for the incredible price you paid that we might know you, that we might encounter you, that we might um, bow our knee before you, that we might live our lives, lives marked by purpose, lives on mission for your kingdom. Father, we invite you to capture our attention today. Father, as followers of yours, we we want to. We desire to put you first. Father, forgive us for allowing other things to come before you. Forgive us for having other treasures in our life that come before you. Father, open our eyes to your power and to your desire to meet us right now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is a unique day. Today is a special day as we shift into um, this week of Thanksgiving. Again and again, we, as Bob Adair said, we look at the big picture of God's goodness, but we also look at the specifics of God's goodness. We don't want the specifics to take away from the overwhelming picture that God is good. Um, That's a huge statement that we We learned from some of us from the time we were a little child, God is great. God is good. He's good. He's always good, regardless of what is going on in our life at a particular time. Um, The psalmist, in a very simple verse, expresses these words. Let's look at them in, in different ways. Um, different translations. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, thank God he is so good. His love never runs out. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. There's a word that changes, uh, uh, a root of a word that is translated over and over in every verse differently. And it's the word love, loving kindness, mercy, everlasting love over and over again, defined differently. It's hard to explain God's love. 
It's hard for one word to describe his commitment to you and to me. God's love is incredible. In these verses, though, there are two other words that never change. One word, the word for God, Lord, or God, only is changed one time in the message paraphrase from Lord to God. But then there is a descriptive word of God that is the same every time. What word is that? Good. Good. You see, every time you and I say God is good, we are making a profound statement. God is good regardless of what's going on around us, regardless of what's going on in our life, regardless of what's going on. And we do not take it lightly, but with the wildfires in California, terrible, isn't it? Horrendous. But God's character is unchanging. God is good. Today, we're going to look at Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And we're going to look at a good God in action, right? We're going to look at a good God pursuing this guy who is pursuing the followers of Jesus. In fact, let's just back up and look at a few verses before we look at chapter Nine, let's back up and and look at some verses in chapter seven and chapter eight. Chapter seven, verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city. Stephen, a good man, a devout man, a spirit-led man, a faithful man. They cast him, they threw him down outside of the city. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. God's goodness? Look at chapter 8, verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church. In the Psalms, in the Greek translation, that word for ravaging is used for what we would call a feral hog, a wild hog. You don't want to be around feral hogs without a gun or a group of dogs, okay? And and Paul is described here as a beast, a beast. He is ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In chapter 26 of the book of Acts, Paul's own description of himself, verse 11, and I punish them often in all the synagogues, all the followers of Jesus and all the synagogues, I punished them often and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. God's good? See, followers of Jesus in this day, in this time, were being pursued ferociously to the point of death by specifically the leader of this persecution, the Apostle Paul. But what is so interesting as we now turn to chapter 9, As we look at chapter nine, and we're going to first look at verses one through nine, I just want to say, I am thankful 
for a good God. I'm thankful for a good God who pursues a relationship with us. Regardless of where you're coming from in life today, regardless if you've been hurt terribly, regardless if if maybe you would say, I'm an agnostic, Dale. Yeah, maybe there's a God, but definitely, you know, Jesus, Jesus isn't him. This whole Bible thing, I'm just not sure about that. Make no doubt about it. God is right now, this moment, pursuing a relationship with each and every one of us. You see, Saul, Saul of Tarsus, a determined man, you might even say an intellectual, he studied in Jerusalem under a noted teacher, Gamaliel, raised in a good Jewish home by good Jewish parents, most likely he had memorized the first five books, the Pentateuch of the Old Testament. He is intense. He believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he doesn't realize God's pursuing him because he's pursuing these followers of Jesus who've been led astray, led astray away from the truth. Verse one, but Saul still breathing threats, nothing's changed, two chapters, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. In our language, um, Saul is securing extradition orders arrest warrants to bring these followers of the way back to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, which is about 150 miles, about a week's journey. So uh, he's been anticipating what's going to happen here. He's almost to Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Is God pursuing Saul? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? If anyone had told Saul prior to his trip to Damascus, Saul, before the week is over, you're going to bow your knees to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He might would have slapped you in the face. He might would have busted out in laughter. Are you kidding me? I believe in the God, the one true God. God is one. Yahweh. So holy that I don't even speak that name. You're crazy. And yet that's exactly what happens in this story. See, I don't care where you've been or what you've done. Literally, I, I, I mean, I care about you. But God does not allow your past to change his pursuit of you. He never turns his back on you. Never. I mean, I would say what Paul is doing, Saul is doing is about as bad as it gets. Would you not say that? 
I mean, he's not a suicide bomber, but if you ended up in his hands, it's like committing suicide. I mean, suicide bombers are terrible, but stoning one stone at a time until you're left for dead, I'd say that's pretty harsh as well. N.T. Wright, some of you actually heard N.T. Wright speak this week. He writes, as he envisions Paul's world literally turned upside down, as Paul at this moment in a state of confusion, what is going on? He acknowledges Jesus as Lord immediately, does he not? N.T. Wright. And Saul sank to the ground, blinded by the light, with the words ringing in his head, I am Jesus, and you are persecuting me. Me? Somehow these men and women Saul was dragging off to prison were Jesus' people, his family, his own extended self. It was all too much. They led him by the hand. And brought him, Saul, to Damascus. It was three days before he could do anything except simultaneously recoil from the horror of what had happened. And gasp at its glory. We call this event a conversion. But it was more like a volcanic eruption thunderstorm, and tidal wave all coming together. You might say, well, Dale, if I saw a bright light, I would bow and say, Lord, as well, right? You might say, if I was blind, if I was knocked to my feet by the glory of God, and and it's noontime, by the way, So it's one thing to look up into the sun and turn away. It's another thing to look up at Jesus and to be blind for three days. Blind. And he lives with that blindness. Don't you think he's been thinking about contemplating how wrong he was and regretted all he had done? Paul before Agrippa, he's gone from Saul to Paul in Acts 26, describes this story a little differently. And when we had all fallen to the ground, myself and everyone with me going to Damascus, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Some people laugh when I tell them my distant, distant, distant past. My past has been much much different than my present. In high school, I showed steers, eunuchs, to carry on Kevin's discussion last week, right? Uh, That was funny. (laughs) Y'all laugh no more at Kevin's discussion than you did at mine, but that's okay. That's okay. And so I had a goad. That's really what you would call it, even though none of you know what a goad is, most likely. A goad is a cattle prod. It has a very pointed end, and it was used for training and guiding oxen. And so when you show a steer, there's a certain posture you want the steer in so it displays good confirmation, really whether it has it or not. You shape the hair, you do all kind of things to kind of get away with that which is not. But let's get back to the goad. You pride. God talks to Saul 
about kicking against the goads. You see, this is not the first time Saul has encountered God. Oh, he might not have known it. It's not the first time that Saul has encountered at least part of the good news story. Saul would later write these words. He said about the goad of the resurrection. You see, he was a Pharisee. He actually believed in a resurrection, but he didn't obviously believe in Jesus's resurrection. But surely there was a doubt in his mind. Here's what he would write later. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for, your, for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. You say, Delva, that's after the fact. It is after the fact. But here's what happened before the Damascus experience. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas... Then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me on the road to Damascus. He appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I'm not saying that these resurrection accounts that Saul no doubt has heard about. They're not kept secret. The news is flowing about. The Roman officials wants to keep it hid. They don't want the word to get out. Whether it was true or not, they didn't want it to grow. And so Saul has this prick in the back of his mind. A small doubt beginning. What about Stephen and Stephen's death? He saw Stephen die maybe like he had never seen death before. He saw a guy whose face was like an angel. He saw a guy who, while he was being stoned, after he had proclaimed Jesus, while he was being stoned, said, Father, forgive them. Forgive every person who is hurling stones at me. He looked like Jesus. It definitely could have pricked, pricked the heart of Saul. Why am I telling you these things? Guys, our faith journey is not limited to one point in time where we cross the line of faith and embrace Christ as we see Saul doing on this Damascus road. You see, we would all, Dale, I didn't have a Damascus road experience. Well, I'm here to tell you, Paul's faith journey didn't begin right there on the road to Damascus. There were pricks. Over and over again. Did you know that Saul was a contemporary of Jesus? Did you know that Saul studied in the city of Jerusalem? Might he have ever crossed the path of Jesus? I'm not telling you I guarantee he did, but might he? There were crowds surrounding Jesus. Might he have witnessed a miracle? Might he have seen Jesus throw the money changers out of the temple? Maybe. A prick in his conscience? One thing I guarantee, the weight of the law weighed on Saul's shoulders as well. Another prick. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and worn out, and I will give you rest. Jesus wants to give you rest. You'll never earn your way to heaven. You'll never earn your way. I will tell you, and and don't let this throw you around. I'm more concerned with today than I am when I die. You say, what? Yeah, I am. God is more concerned with today in your life. He wants you to realize he's pursuing you this moment. 
He wants you to follow Jesus this moment. He wants me to follow Jesus as a way of life. Not a one-time profession, but as a way of life. He wanted Saul to do the same. And Saul did exactly that. Not only does a good God pursue a relationship with us, but a good God longs. I'm thankful for a good God that longs for us, you and me, to live life with a purpose, to live life on mission. Say, Dale, you don't know my wife. God doesn't need me. God doesn't want me. He might take me, kind of like the last pick on his team, right? Oh, no. God will use you if you'll acknowledge Jesus as your Savior and King, and if you will surrender, just as Saul did. But we're going to look at a man just for a moment. Why a moment? Because this is the only time his name occurs in scripture. Why a moment? Because we see him doing one thing and one thing only. Why a moment? We know little about him. We don't know when he became a follower of Christ. We don't know when he died. We don't know what else he did in his life. But what he did changed the course of the book of Acts. Because he affirmed this man this persecutor of the church because he took a risk. And when God spoke to him, he did what God asked him to do. One time we see him. Might it be that you are going to be a part of a pivotal moment in someone else's life? Oh, you will live faithfully. You will follow Jesus to the best of your ability But little do you know that your impact in a family member's life, a co-worker's life, a neighbor's life, even a stranger's life might change thousands of people's lives, both for now and all eternity. Read, read this passage. God says to Saul, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. That's the man I want you to hear his name. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Say what? Hello? In all seriousness, this was signed in your own death warrant. And Ananias, he goes on, but the Lord said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he touched him. He drew close to him. Surely he wasn't silent. Saul, my name's Ananias. The Lord, Jesus Christ, my King, has told me to come to you. Brother Saul, Brother, brother Saul, 
The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Did God have a plan for Ananias? A one-time plan as far as we know. Again, he walked with Jesus, no doubt in my mind. But this was his moment. This was the divine appointment God had for him. Just as Paul on the road to Damascus had an encounter with Jesus, now Saul has an encounter with Ananias that would change his life. The first words he hears from Ananias' lips are words of affirmation and acceptance. Brother, brother, There's a lot to Saul's story. You might not know it, but he left town for three years and went to Arabia. Literally, as he confessed earlier, he believed he was a personal witness of the resurrection on the Damascus road. He saw that as literally seeing Jesus. And so he was counted as an apostle. We really do not know what happened in Arabia, but it's interesting that he spends the same amount of time in Arabia that Jesus spent with his disciples. In another passage, Paul says, he talks about the thorn in the flesh, keeping him humble. Why did he need to be kept humble? Because God had given him incredible visions that if he were not careful, would have given him the big head. Maybe those visions occurred in Arabia. All I know is his life was changed forever. And Ananias had a critical role. Who might God want to use you in their life? God has someone picked out for you to show good news to, for you to share good news to. Didn't Ananias both share good news and show good news? It's not one or the other. Kevin and I were talking about someone this week that doesn't profess Christ and we discussed how to engage with them and we're not gonna ram the gospel down their throat. We're going to demonstrate the gospel but unashamedly profess that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father but by him. Saul said, followers of the way. As I close, I just want to read some scriptures, some scriptures that we find Saul now become Paul record in his epistles. Look at his perspective on the gospel. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I have received mercy because he acted ignorant. I, I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. God's grace poured over me, Saul says. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So take heart. You're at least the number two sinner in the world, right? Saul said, I'm a sinner. I chose my way over God's way, over the way of Christ. I blew it. But God showed his mercy to me. Saul says, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. 
God's patient with us. Again, he pursues us. There was a movement, and and I, I was a part of this in some ways. It was called the seeker movement. The problem with that description is that God is seeking us long before we're seeking him. He's pursuing us. Paul writes, but I receive mercy for this reason that in me, the foremost, Jesus might display his what? I just want to say it again. Patience. You see, God pours out his patience, his mercy, his grace, so that others might see, might see the good news of Jesus Christ in us. I don't know about you, but I am thankful for a good God. This story might confuse you some. I had a friend that did not like the Apostle Paul. I'm not joking. He has shifted from a professor of Christ to an agnostic. He's my age. We did a lot of life together. But you know what he would tell me multiple times? I just don't like Paul. Look at all he did. He didn't deserve it. Neither do I. And neither do you. That's what mercy is. God does not give us what we do deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. Life through Jesus Christ. God's good. If God's pricking your heart today, if he has your attention, if you're beginning to see a pattern and you realize, wow, I don't need a Damascus Road experience. I see where things are aligning. God's been doing this, drawing me for some time. Maybe you want to come forward and pray with our prayer partners and say, you know, today I'm acknowledging Jesus as my Savior. If you're a prayer partner, would you come forward at this time? Maybe you've ignored how God might want to use you and you're an Ananias. Behind the scenes, no one will ever hear about you. Won't you be faithful to be an Ananias? I don't need to be a Saul. I'm comfortable being an Ananias. You might be a Saul. Maybe I'm supposed to encourage you. Father, we thank you for your goodness. You are our good God and you are pursuing each and every one of us and you long for us to live our lives on mission with you. May we not only hear your voice, but may we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we worship. I'm going to ask Greg and Donna Juglard to come forward at this time. Let's remain standing. I'm going to ask both our current elders and uh, maybe those that aren't on the active board right now to come forward as well. Um, Tomorrow, Donna and Greg will be flying out to Lyon, France. Isn't that awesome? Maybe you're on Greg and Donna's support team, prayer team, um, financial support team. If you'd like to come forward as well, you're welcome to right now. Um, Don't be shy if you would like to. I'm going to ask you all to move up just a little. All right. Um, Barry Dupuis has, he and his family spent 17 years of their lives in Europe. 17 years. Barry has a unique understanding of some of the challenges, some of the blessings that Greg and Donna are going to face. He's been involved in church plants there. Greg and Donna will be working alongside a church planter as they seek to reach um, people and to make disciples of believers. I've asked Barry just to lift them up. Any word that you have, Barry, would be awesome. Greg and Donna, we love you guys. And we're just so thankful to be a part of your ministry. Yeah, I just would like to say that uh, 
It's been a long journey. Uh, you guys have been through the fire, I would say, in the Congo, because they were in the Congo for about a year. And they've come back, and over the last two years, it's been, we've been back a couple years from there, and uh, preparing for the next outreach, which is going to be in Lyon, France. And uh, we always say, well, France, you know, France. He's talked a lot in this church about France, but France is a dark place, believe it or not. It's, uh, it's a tough place. Uh, it's a tough place to live. Uh, and they're going to be in the heart of Lyon, where it's a tough area. So they're going to be reaching out to the people there, to the uh, people that don't know Jesus, the people that are, are, are lost, basically. And this is their calling. They've been studying French for years. Uh, they, this, is, this is their calling. So we encourage you to pray for them. Greg and Donna Juilliard, pray for them because uh, they need our prayers. Amen. So let's pray for them now as they leave tomorrow for Lyon, France. Father, uh, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for Greg and Donna. We thank you for the, uh, just the ministry, the calling that you put on their lives. Father, we, uh, we pray as they depart tomorrow that you order their steps all the way to uh, their destination, Lyon. And uh, Lord, as they'll be uh, uh, staying in just an apartment until they can find a more permanent place, we pray to guide them, uh, help them to make friends as they, they have contacts there already. Help them, Father, to find the right place to live and start developing that friendship, Father. And we pray your protection over them. Uh, Father, uh, anytime you got missionaries going out in the field, there's just that activity that tries to distract them. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke that. And we call for a covering over them, protection over them, in the name of Jesus. And we praise and we pray that every place they go, that Jesus will be seen, either through their words or through their actions. We pray your blessing over them, Father. Mercy over them. Grace, protection. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 We hope that you would join us for lunch today as we gather as a family. You know, we have guests in our home from time to time. If you're a guest today, I promise we'll give you a royal welcome as we gather together. May your eyes be open to our good God's blessing this week. And we ask God to bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.